Hi, everybody. Welcome to Busy Living Sober. Busy Living Sober. Busy Living Sober. On episode 229 with Laura and Tom Bolt. How are you guys today? Doing well. I'm happy to be here. Very, very happy to be here with you. I'm very happy to have you here. Thank you. Okay, I'm just going to throw this out there. So they wrote this book. And for those watching on YouTube, because a lot of people listen. So those of you watching on YouTube, it's Unraveled, a mother and son story of addiction and redemption. And I'm so excited to have you guys on because I read your book. And I love that for one, your mom didn't take Al-Anon's people's advice, did she? (laughs) (laughs) She heard it, maybe. (laughs) Didn't put it into action. No, but she did it anyway. And it, it actually worked out in it, it in for the best for both of you at this point. So who wants to start telling their story first? That's up to you. All right, Laura, we're going to start with you as being a mom and, you know, moms with kids that are out there that are battling addiction and they might be having a couple glasses of wine. They're totally stressed about their kid especially, well, now it's kind of weird because of the holidays and kids are in COVID and people are, kids are running away like they never have before. And um, it, it is, it's crazy. So what was it like for you, Laura, as a mom? And what was your journey like? Well, just a brief background. Uh, I grew up in an alcoholic family and I was never going to be that person. Never. That was my intermission. Not going to be an alcoholic. I'm going to be a great mother, great person. And I was everything but a great person, I think, when I was in my addiction. Um, I am a little bit more than a garden variety alcoholic. And by that, I mean, I'm super crazy. Uh, did all kinds of dangerous, dangerous things, things that may be construed as funny. But the most important aspect of that is a lot of what I did was equivalent um, in what I did, not only growing up, but as an adult, uh, by the way, I got sober at 48, uh, was very comparable to that of what my children at age 13, 12, and 11 would be doing. And I thought that was perfectly okay. So uh, my journey in addiction was, um, it had its very dark moments. I never wanted to be that person. And when I realized I was that person, I uh, had to go out and do a little bit more field work. And there are a lot more details than this, but when I came to my, um, what I really feel was an epiphany, it was due to a car accident where fortunately I didn't kill anybody, nobody else was involved with me. And that was really quite bad enough. But I realized then and there that, that uh, my higher power was speaking to me and I was hearing them at what cost or, or uh, loss of life you need to see before you're going to realize that you are in need of help. You're, I was spiritually destitute, uh, afraid, filled with shame. And, um, you know, I'm making it oversimplifying this a lot, but I, I did get sober after the car accident. And at that point, I felt like it was my obligation to be the best version of me that I could be the version that I was meant to be. And, um, to be the best, you know, wife, person, mother, friend uh, that I could be. And raising four boys 
is not an easy task by any stretch, but it's a huge blessing. And uh, I noticed when Tommy was younger that, that we shared a lot of similarities in our personality. We certainly butted heads because we were so similar. And I did sort of pick up on the fact that, that uh, about maybe one or two years into my sobriety that he was definitely using and things were progressing in, in a downward spiral, spiral and pretty quickly. Uh, mine was stretched out over a period of years and I felt like I had sort of a more dormant period uh, when I first got married and I was having children. I just, I, I don't know how that's possible being an alcoholic, but it just didn't seem to be my, the most important thing in my life, which eventually it came to be after my fourth child was born. Um, but mine was spread out and I'm 12 years sober, a little over 12 years sober. Okay. I'm 60 and I was uh, 48 when I got sober. But anyway, with being a mother, I empathize with where mothers are, especially during COVID. I'm not sure how I would have conducted myself. Well, I know how I would have conducted myself if I weren't sober. And I think with the increase of use of alcohol and drugs and the increase of um, lack of faith and stress and all those things that go along with being um, sequestered uh, is a recipe for disaster. Mm -hmm. And certainly not everybody's an alcoholic, but, but um, they're, to me, that's a very challenging thing. So to go back to what was going on with Tommy, I kind of, I, I realized what was happening with him and I wanted to deny some of it and, and wait, wait, not to interrupt you, but I'm going to interrupt you. For just, what do you mean? Like, give us a little more details. Did you find him with a vape pen or was he smoking bongs? I mean, what made you think he's going down this rabbit? Like you're that, like, cause you're newly sober and you want to tell the whole world you're sober. Let's be honest. Right. Like everybody's right. got to get on this 12 step program. Cause everybody's new. Who's like, Oh my God, the 12 steps is for everybody, especially my kids. Yes, so, that's right. And of course right? I want to engage them all in adult children of alcoholics, uh, you know, opportunities of which they were not interested at all. Did you find my cocaine or my pills or what did you, did you find? I found like handles of liquor mm. and um, marijuana. And eventually as things really progressed, I found these little pills that turned out to be a version of morphine that I uh, had to sort of describe in Google and came to understand what it was. And it was very compatible with um, his behavior in terms of his lack of energy and motivation um, and some of the crazy behaviors that near death experiences and, and all these things that can happen to people, um, anybody, uh, when they're immersed in their addiction. So um, what did I do? Well, I talked to him about it. I talked to my husband about it. My husband uh, was more patient with it. The question, how old was Tom when this happened or Tommy? I, I think that when I started to really notice, um, well, high school, certainly his behaviors would indicate that behavior of an addict or an alcoholic. However, he wasn't using, to my knowledge, heavy drugs in high school. It really kind of came into that fruition when he was uh, 19, 20, 21. I mean, you know, he's shaking his head and laughing. He's like, boy, did I pull the wool over your eyes, mom? But I knew that things weren't right. It's I all in the book. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, <laughs> it's all in the book. Um, and I was, I was terrified. 
I couldn't sleep. And it's not about me. It's just that um, I knew from my program that I had to let them make mistakes. At the same time, I wanted to fix everything mm -hmm. and make it all go away. And this is not happening. And I don't want him to have this kind of challenge in his life. And there's a lot more to it than what I'm describing. I mean, we could talk about when he was younger, the trauma he experienced of being bullied. Did, did the bullying lead to his addiction? No, but was it a form of trauma? Uh, of course it was, because it was very serious. We're not using the word lightly. And um, I just think that, that uh, you know, when you have four boys, you think, one can think, okay, they're all um, circles that are gonna fit into a, a circular space. They're, there's, they're apples and they're oranges. Honor the apples, honor the oranges. I don't think I honored him as, as the circle or the square or whatever I may have, whatever sort of analogy you wanna consider it, um, until I sort of grew up myself into my own program and realized this kid is a, a very spirited, wonderful, warm, kind guy that's, that's struggling. And, and uh, I did give him his first Valium. He was very anxious at about, I don't, I think it was like 13 and he was very anxious about <clears throat> going back to school after vacation because of this extreme bullying. And it affected him in every way, emotionally, physically, it, it was paralyzing. And uh, the night that I gave it to him, I, I said to him, you know, in order to try to relax, maybe hop in the bathtub, but he was hyperventilating, he couldn't breathe. So I, you know, back in the day, I had Valium, Xanax, I had it all. And I gave him a Valium and all of a sudden I'm like, as I said in my book, wow, I think I might've given him that value for me because then he just relaxed. And, and that begins Tommy's story of his connection to, you know, taking a pill, which he can share with you. Um, and things just sort of seemed a lot easier. Well, isn't it interesting? Cause too, when you grow up or when you're raising kids in it, I don't think it matters if you're in, I'm gonna just say Ladue, cause I know that's, or like in Wayne, Pennsylvania, or you're in, out in a suburb of Los Angeles, a suburb of San Francisco, and you're in this group with all these moms and you've got these four rowdy boys and you want everybody to look perfect. Let's just be honest. That's just oh, right. Up, right. And then you've got one, like, cause I have one that's like ADHD and you're like, oh my God, what's wrong with this person? And then they pick up this, and then you're like, just calm down. And you're like, okay, that was nice. I got him calm for a minute. And yes. Yeah, right? But that was not crazy. It was nice for me too, I'll tell you that. Really? <laughs> oh yeah. Tell us, tell us, because I can imagine your mom giving you like this thing. You're like, okay, whatever that was, was good. Give me some more. It worked. Yeah, yeah. no, it, yeah. it all went away. It all went away. I mean, everything, all the fears, all the, um, you know, all the fears at that point, at that moment, it was fear and, and, you know, like anxiety and it just all went away. And I was able to just like, like relax, you know? Like, um, like for some people explain like their first, their first sip of alcohol, right? But this is in mm -hmm. pill form, right? So your first sip yep. of alcohol, it's that finally that sense of like, okay, the brain's stopping. I can just chill. Exactly. And it works, worked very well. Right away, right? Yeah, did what it was. It did what it was supposed to do, you know. So I totally get it. Mine was booze, and they didn't give me that, but mine was booze, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, this is my this is the answer to all of my prayers." 
right? Yeah. I don't have to be this girl that is, um, you know, it's running around being crazy and everybody wants to shut me up because I'm hyper and I'm running around and I'm causing drama everywhere. And I get that first sip and you're, and I was 13 as well, but, um, but getting that for the first time and then feeling that what happened going forward? Going forward, there were some big changes that happened in, in the, um, the years to come. I mean, there was um, a school switch that happened because um, I, I finally was fed up and I was like, I'm, not, I'm just not going back. And um, so I switched schools. I found some, uh, a group of people to hang out with. They were like me. Um, and then, you know, uh, started smoking the hookah at first and like, I don't even know when that was like eighth grade, something like that. And then, um, getting into high school, we just started doing pretty much everything. I mean, it started with, um, started with weed then you know, alcohol that summer between eighth grade and ninth grade. So middle, the jump between middle school to, to high school, that's a summer that kickstarted it. Um, and then when I had the opportunity to take a pill, I just jumped at it because I already knew, you know, I, have, I would look them up on my phone. You know, sometimes I go to parties and go through medicine cabinets and look it up. You're like, oh, what does this do? What does this do? What does this do? Oh, I'll take a couple of these. And, um, and it worked. It worked for a while. But then it got to the point where it was like, it, it, it worked, but also if I didn't have it, it was bad even if everything like was going well, yeah. it's like, all right, now I literally, I need this all the time. And when I got to that point, it just started getting uh, pretty bad. I mean, it was like accidents, car wrecks, motorcycle wrecks, fights, uh, surgeries, hospital visits. Uh, and it went so fast. I mean, people talk about like how the how it accelerates and goes fast. But for me, it was like four years. Yeah. And it was like the, those four years went by so fast. The last year I, before I got sober, I don't even remember much, 2012. Uh, well, congratulations, both of you on your time. And um, the way that you just described that, do you remember, so, like, did you ever talk about alcoholism in your house knowing that did, so did you know about it or anything? Did you know what it really was? Like, did it, was there oh, yeah. like your grandparents, I'm just gonna say the grandparents had it, right? So the grandparents. Well, my, my, for sure. My, my mother, 100%, she was in the program. She was 16 years sober when she died. So she was a great example, but I went to dare. Okay. Oh, you did. I had dare, I had dare ed education. Okay. And so, but my view of a, you can call them two separate things, but I think the ism is the same, yeah. um, an alcoholic or an addict, right? So I viewed that as one thing for like one, you have to be this way to be an alcoholic. You have to be this way to be an addict. Alcoholic, brown paper bag, living under a freeway. That's an alcoholic. Addict, you're in some sort of drug house, can't stop shooting up. Uh, you know, have a bunch of diseases. That was my view. And it's like, that's not, that's not realistic. That's not the case for everyone. You know, there's so many different types of variations. So when I was going through it, I thought something was like, 
seriously wrong with me because I wasn't drinking out of a brown paper bag and I wasn't living under a freeway. So I'm like, okay, well, I'm not those things. Like there's something really wrong with my brain, you know? Oh my God. I totally know. I mean, I had family members that said that to me. They're like, well, you aren't drinking, you know, you're not drinking out of a brown paper bag and hiding underneath the freeway or jumping on trains like they did in movies. Like, I don't even know if that's legal anymore anyway, but that whole sense of the stereotype of what an addict looked like, that's like what the media portrays Mm -hmm. and what television and movies are like, well, I'm not like, you know, Charlie Sheen or something like after causing all this mayhem or I'm not like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I'm not doing all this crazy stuff, but I'm doing stuff that, and I think that self talk that we have to ourselves, like there's something really wrong with me. Mm-hmm. I think that's what really brings us to our knees. It's like, there's something totally mm-hmm. messed up with me. Yeah, it was, it's, I had a phone conversation a couple of weeks ago with a guy I'd, I usually see on a weekly basis. I didn't see him for a couple of weeks. And I, um, I said, hey man, is everything okay? He called me, um, he had been getting high and we talked for a little bit and he said, Tom, I just, I just don't know what's wrong with me, man. There's something wrong with me. And I was like, dude, there's nothing wrong with you, man. You're, you are who you are, man. And if, if I'm not saying you're an alcoholic or a drug addict, but, and he's like, oh, I definitely am. I was like, okay, well. I can relate to literally everything that you're saying and doing right now. So, you know, and and so it's just that thought process of that there's something wrong with me is uh, miserable. It's miserable. It's miserable and you want a quick fix, right? Cause you're Mm -hmm. like, you you grow up and you're like, I have a headache, I'm gonna take a Tylenol. Okay, this is they give me an Advil and I'm all better. But this whole mental thing that's the crazy part, right? Because you're like, oh my God, there's something wrong with me. I'm thinking about these crazy thoughts. And why is it I can't stop thinking about wanting to get this pill wherever it is? Or for me, it was the booze. And I bet for your mom, it was the, like, for me, it was like, all right, I'm going to a party. I have to have two bottles of wine, one while I'm getting ready and one when I come home at the end of the night. There was no way I could do it without it. Like, that's like, right? You couldn't Nothing do it. Nothing is instantaneous in mental, when you're talking about uh, alcoholism or mental health, mental health especially. I mean, you can, you can look at, you can look at how everything works in, you know, if you look at the, the, the medical field and you say, all right, he's got a broken arm. He's in a lot of pain. What do you do? Okay. Boom. Give him an IV drip. We'll fix it. Put him out. Surgery done. Um, and then you look at like mental health, take uh, depression, for example, you can't just give them a pill and fix their depression. I mean, you can get, you can give them a pill, but it's going to take two months to start working. And then maybe get them exercising again or eating healthier. Stuff takes time. It takes time. So it's, it's it, it is. It's a huge. It's a huge commitment. And one of the things I want to explain um, to the listeners is that um, addiction doesn't have any boundaries. There are no borders. There, there's nothing. I mean, it, it doesn't matter socioeconomically, culturally. It, it it affects everybody. And yes, is it easier to to have a house and and a roof over your head and food on the table. Of course it is, but there are no boundaries of this um, demonic disease. And we don't want to be like that. And the only way for me that I can think about, I don't want to be like that. So I think I'll drink about it and then I won't worry about it. (laughs) And then I'll Google some uh, rehab centers on Sunday morning for a year. And then I'll, I'll close the laptop and say, okay, well, just more hair of the dog will cure that one. 
you know, we'll go do a little more field work. So it's, it's not like we want to be that way. The bottom line is with, with addiction is that there's no cure, but there is a solution and the solutions are out there and, and we are out there and we are out there with open arms, hoping that people will come to us and ask us for help. If, you know, when, when people um, are doubting whether or not they're an alcoholic or they're concerned about people in their family, I think the best thing that anyone can do is if they, if they have a spiritual connection, maybe pray about it, but to go and ask somebody for help to talk to a clergy, a therapist, um, you know, I, I, in my program, I'm not supposed to promote AA, but there are meetings that, that just, you know, for the cost of a cup of coffee, you know, a buck or two, um, you know, just, just, or not, or not, or no money, you know, it's, it's, it's being able to be vulnerable enough to, uh, to think outside of your world and say, you know what, I could ask for help. And it's okay to ask for help. I mean, I think about Tommy's sobriety and I think, God, he got sober so young. He's got his whole life ahead of him. And, um, you know, and I have the rest of my life ahead of me. It's never too late. But I think about the opportunity that um, people have when they're younger to, to really get to know themselves and to really um, develop into living a life filled with, with um, understanding, uh, being a lifelong learner, solutions and all that kind of stuff. I mean, shit, life happens, all right? Things happen in people's life. It's just the way it is. Things out of our control, things we have to accept that we may not like. Um, we have to uh, function as human beings and part of being human is the mistakes we make or you know, their death in families or all kinds of things that happen. But when, for me being sober, when Tommy was um, in the depth of his um, addiction, I had to, number one, protect my sobriety and take care of myself so that I could better serve um, my families, particularly Tommy. And, um, you know, that, that is a huge gift. That is a tremendous, tremendous gift to be able to uh, commit to the lifestyle that sobriety um, offers. And it, it, it's just, it's amazing. Is, is life easy? No, it's not. But drinking never made, or drugging never made anything better. Never. And, you know, the more time we're in sobriety, the more we can actually start using our frontal cortex and think with a little reasoning. <laughs> it, instead of being a, our primal brain, which is, you know, so you mentioned the um, AA, and I love that you mentioned with your mother, with yourself. Tom, do you also do a, I, I, are you 12-stepper as well? I'm a 12-stepper. Okay. So I want to ask, because this is a big, you know, coming to this realization, and you were 21 when you got sober? 21, yep. 21, yeah. So I, it's interesting, because I, you know, I, I have somebody that I helped that got sober at, she got, she was in rehab for her 21st birthday, and now she's been sober for 22 years. Holy awesome. Smart. And, um, you know, in the beginning, you know, you talked about going into the rooms. And so I want to talk about first from, from the very beginning, when you walked into that room, especially you, Laura, your mom had been there. So it wasn't that, was it still as scary as it is for us people who had never had anybody go there before? And I was like, oh my God, how was that? Because a lot of people are very scared 
of going into a 12-step room, there's such a stigma, right? That's associated with addiction still as much as we're trying to change that with busy living sober and sober not ashamed and you know unraveled. We're trying to get out there and promote that, that we have nothing to be ashamed of. But when you first walked in, because there's so many people that reach out to me and they're like, I just don't, I just, I, I just, I, I just don't think I'm that, I just don't want to, yeah, I don't want to go there. Or I'm, if I have to go, I might have to drive like three counties over. You know, I can't even go in my neighborhood. You know what I mean? Yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't scared, but not, not for it, not because of a, not because of an ego thing. Like I'm not scared. Right. I was, when I walked into the room, I, okay. First and foremost, after my accident, I realized I was in big trouble. All right. And I thought if I don't listen now, and I'm not kidding, I was, I really was down on my knees thinking God is, who is my higher power, choose whoever you wish. Um, he's speaking to me and I hear him. And what's it going to take for me to, um, to get sober? I can't look at myself in the mirror. I feel so much shame. I'm not, I'm not the person I want to be. There's just a multitude of things that I felt, but because I connected with a friend of mine in the program that day, she took me to my first meeting. And as I mentioned to my husband, I am definitely going to AA, but that's not going to become my life. And I walked into the room and um, I thought, oh, shit, these people are really messed up. They are so messed up. But yet I was that person who's like, hey, I'm an alcoholic. I'm an alcoholic. I mean, I want to shout it from the mountaintop because I thought, I'm excited. It's weird. I, I'm not afraid to be sober because I was so damn scared to be an active alcoholic. I got to the point where I couldn't take myself anymore. I couldn't take my own bullshit anymore. I couldn't take it. And so, um, you know, that gradually over time, I chipped away at the ego and I thought I'm no different than anybody else in here. And I was really guarded about making friendships. Um, I didn't hide it that I was in, in, a, in my certain program of recovery, which is AA. I didn't hide it, um, but I didn't trust people. So it took me a really long time to, but I kept going back. Even when I didn't want to go back, I kept going back because I was told that that's what works. Yeah. And, um, you know, and I, I, I don't want to segue too much, but I want to say that for those of you out there that are active alcoholics or addicts or recovering or whatever, you know, we have our kids. There's a certain um, uh, genetic predisposition um, environmental, there, there, are, there are numerous reasons why people become addicts. It is not a parenting malfunction. We can't make our kids alcoholics. We can't, we don't have that kind of power and nor do we have the power for them to get sober. Mm. What we do have the power to do is to take care of ourselves in, in hopes that we can provide that healthier environment um, for whoever we're around to be attracted to that kind of thing. Mm. And also the amount of compassion that I've learned to have for people like me and like Tommy has grown. Um, you know, when I was growing up with my mother, I wanted to be mad at her all the time. You know, I was furious, sick of it, sick of it. I was so tired of it. And when Tommy was using, I was tired of it. I was scared. I was tired of it. I was exhausted. I couldn't sleep it selfishly. I couldn't, you know, I wanted to sleep and that meant fixing Tommy deep down. My heart broke. I wanted him to, I was tired him. of your drinking too, bro. 
Okay. <laughs> of course you were. I mean, of course you were. But uh, but I love him so much, and my heart broke, and I could totally relate to his his brokenness because we're all broken. Right. We're all broken. But and and that's so, okay. But this is your baby. It's my baby. It's my first baby. Yeah. And um, gosh, it was an amazing experience. Amazing experience. I'm so damn proud of him. He is, um, this journey together has, has been um, unlike anything else. Being able to write the book together, to heal together, to be honest together. We learned stuff about each other that maybe we didn't even know, you know, in the beginning of Tommy's for the first four years of the sobriety. We, we have, uh, we've grown up together too. That's true. I mean, here we are mother, son, but we grew up together. It's just, and, I mean, it kind of brings tears to my eyes because it is so beautiful. Like it, it, this doesn't normally happen, you know? This is not what the normal, you know, right? I mean, the odds yes. out there of this happening is not very good, right? Most people who go in relapse a bunch of times and unfortunately, fortunately people die. You know, moms never get it because there's a lot of parents out there that are like, my kid has to get sober. I don't want to get sober. I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. And I, you know, I think it's interesting. And I've always thought this because for me, drinking was the big thing because all my parents did was drink. But when you introduce these pills into the environment, right? And if mom's doing a pill, why can't I do a pill? Right? There's that whole, like, a caveat that takes you into this ability to take this and say, you know what, I can do it. Mom doesn't, it doesn't kill her. So how's it going to kill me? Mm -hmm. That's part of the demise of the disease. It's the message we send. It's, you know, you can tell your children anything you want to tell them. It's all about how you live your life. The, uh, the yeah. being authentic is in how you behave, not in what you say. And uh, for me, I, I'm a slow learner. It took me a lot longer to learn what authentic even means um, to be that real person. And, you know, without being sober, I'm not that person. I'm another person that is not in touch with anything um, real. And it's really a scary place to be because I, I knew deep down that I was that person, that alcoholic, that I never wanted to be. I, I thought, oh, I can break the chain before I even become one. Well, like I really had a choice in the matter. I am one and I'm okay with that. And then I think about all the benefits of um, the program and what this has allowed me to work on and what it has shown me that if I just listen, and I continue to be a um, uh, lifelong learner. If I continue to be um, a person of service, there is, to me, there's nothing better than working with other alcoholics. That keeps me, selfishly, that keeps me sober. I love that part of it. Do I have time to take a call? I'm gonna make time to take that call because my life depends on it. For sure. And Tom, where you are today, so you went into 12 steps and you said, I wasn't scared to go. No, no. I was because uh, I was basically like dead inside. 
So yeah, I wasn't afraid to do anything. You know, it was like, whatever. Like I didn't, I didn't care if I died or, you know, whatever happened, happened. And I was like, well, well mm. I woke up that, that morning and was just like, yeah, this is, it's over for me. Like, I, I don't know. I guess I'll try that rehab thing that people talk about. Mm. Give it a shot. Um, and went and I had no idea what I was getting getting into. No idea. I mean, I, when in my first meeting, I was like, what is this? How am I supposed to do what, we, what do we do here? Hi, I'm Tom. <laughs> you know, I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know that I couldn't drink again. Yeah. I didn't know that. I was like, oh, yeah, we'll get it under control. I'll leave here. You can have a beer with dinner. And leave. But then when I look back, it's like, no. They're like, no, dude, you can't. You can't do that ever again. You want to live a good life. But to be willing, you just described being willing, right? You were willing to yeah, go. Willing. You were willing to take the advice. You were willing, which is the big thing, right? Because so many people are not, like, to get that willingness to go to someplace that's like, they're going to lock me up for 28 days. I don't know if you went to aftercare. So if I don't know if it made a 90 day stint. Oh, I was in, I was in for 120 days total. Love that. Yeah. So, so, but I was willing, I was willing. Like if somebody told me I had to go, you know, to the zoo and jump the fence and go high five a giraffe, I would have. Yeah. You know what I mean? Totally. No, I know exactly. I was felt the same way. So he's like, you're going to do 90 meetings and 90 days and call me every day. My first response was I'm busy. And she was like, well, were you too busy to drink? And I'm like, no, okay. I'll call you, right. you know? And, um, I want to talk about the inside job. You know, this is such an inside job, isn't it? It's such an inside job. So Tommy, what do you feel like when I say it's an inside job? What does that make you think of? spirituality and who I am as a person, how I treat other people, how I view life, what my aspirations are. Uh, my goals have changed from what they were to now. So internal work, uh, I mean, that's really what it is anyway. I mean, when you when the, the drugs and the alcohol are, are just uh, a helpful tool that we used, that wasn't the problem. It made things a little bit worse, a lot worse sometimes. But uh, the the problem is in here. So everything, and then everything's connected. So you talk about the spirit, mind, body, all of it. For me, I had to work on all of it. And I like uh, I like working working on all of it. Actually, right now we're in a place where we're we're working on ourselves. All of us are. Mm -hmm. So. There's nine of us here right now, and we're doing that. So it's cool. I like doing it now, you know? <laughs> it, it, well, it's not as scary, right? Because it's not as scary and going, because I think that that self-talk that we're not good enough, I'm a loser, I'm this, I'm that, I, you know, that it's just that negativity that goes on in our heads, right? When we're drinking and doing drugs, it's just so awful. And when we come in to put down that baseball bat that we carry around and hit ourselves with all day long, right? I'm a loser, I'm a loser, this person's doing this because I'm a loser, this person doesn't really like me, that's why they're not texting me right back. I mean, like, the stories we, like, envelop in our heads are just insane, right? Yeah, a lot of it's comparisons, too. Yeah. So it's yeah. like, I'm a loser because I'm not, you know, Elon Musk. 
You know what I mean? But it's like, yeah, okay, Tom, let's maybe take a step back. Like, and there's not a lot of guys like that. Like, you gotta, you know, do what's best for you. You compare yourself to other people, you're gonna fall short every single time. Most of the time. It's all that grandiose thinking. It's just, uh, and the in, the inside job is important. The sobriety allows you to do the work. I mean, as I said, we're all broken. And we all have different life experiences that brought us to where wherever it is we are. But what we get to do is we get to just work on things, you know, one literally as cliche as it is, one day at a time. And when we can see that we can we can evolve and and find solutions for for problems that we never knew we could possibly deal with, then we know the next time that something erupts um, that that we can take a deep breath. It, one of the things my father-in-law said was, don't just do something, stand there. And my father-in-law, um, my husband's dad, co-founded uh, Edgewood, which was a treatment program in St. Louis. And he was a physician. He was not in the program, was not an, an alcoholic, but he was a compassionate guy. And, you know, when you, you learn to uh, halt whatever, you take time to think about something before you react to it. There's nothing that we can't handle. And this is a we program. I mean, you don't, we don't have to do these things on our, by ourselves. Some things take a village and that's what we get to have when we're sober. We get to have that village. I've never seen a group of people that are more genuinely interested in each other's success with the program. I'm not talking about career sec, uh, success. I'm talking about, you know, real success in the program, mm. staying sober and people, you want that for the people that you're with and that share the common problem. And, uh, you know, I find on a daily basis, I'm only as joyful or as productive as my spiritual connection is active and healthy. And we don't do anything all the time. We're not perfect. We're not, I mean, nobody's perfect. And so we can say, yeah, I get up every day, I make my bed. I do my daily meditations. I go to a Zoom meeting. I connect with other alcoholics. Um, yes, and we know that we feel better when we do that. I tie my own shoes. We tie our own shoes. <laughs> but we know we feel better when we do these things. So why don't we do them all the time? Why don't we meditate all the time? Why don't we, we know, why don't we eat well all the time? Well, it's just not the way my mind works, but I know that there's a solution and I know what makes me uh, a better person. I know what it is that I need to work on. And you always, well, not always, but inevitably feel better when you, when you stay close to your, your sober people and your, in your program. Well, you guys are awesome. I can, for one, I can feel you healed the whole family. I'm listening to, I mean, I'm sure not, I'm not everybody's like perfect, 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 as we mentioned. But to make it a family thing, I'm envious. I am so envious because I think it's just, oh my gosh, you guys are so lucky. Tom, you are so lucky. And you're giving we brought, back. We brought all the girlfriends too. So they're oh all doing something. That's pretty big. Oh yeah. <laughs> it, it's really cool. You know, I don't think any of the other three boys show signs of addiction. I'm not going to analyze them. But they're all supportive. They all respect the uh, seriousness of the disease. And um, we are very, very lucky. And we were 
really messed up there for a while. And yes, of course, I'm the mom. I want it all to look perfect. My kids are going to be perfect. They're all going to fit in this perfect little box and everything's going to be great. And in the meantime, I'm running myself ragged trying to make it all look perfect. And it's so not perfect. It's not how life works. It's just not. No. During that, I was, get me another dirty martini, thank you. Get me another yes. dirty martini, thank you. Because if I have to fit in this box and I'm going like this and everybody's hanging over, it's awful. Yes. It's just to give up and be willing because that's like what it all is, right, Tom? It's all about willing. It's all about willing, right, Laura? It's, it's all about completely surrendering and, and the willingness that goes along with it. I am an alcoholic. I will always be an alcoholic. It's not a dirty word. But what this allows me to do is to work on being a better person as long as I stay true to my uh, sobriety. You guys are awesome. I want to be in your family. Can I come with you on your on your retreats to get back? Well, we shall have a family meeting about it and perhaps <laughs> adopt you. <laughs> I'd love to adopt you. You're adorable. I mean it. I mean the connection is immediate. Oh, you guys are awesome. Well, you, the, the list, I'm gonna we're gonna put. I'm gonna have a, the cover of your book on my website, and I'm gonna have a link. I think I have a link from. I think I have a link for your book too. I think a way of getting it. I'll put Amazon or something. I'll find it. Okay, I'll find it because you can get it on Amazon. Correct. Correct, yes, and, the, and it's, the website is unraveledthebook.com. So you can, the listeners out there, if they're interested, and I hope they are, because I hope we've touched somebody and helped somebody in some way, can access a lot of information about us. And uh, some of the, it, your uh, podcast will be on our website. So and they can. So everybody can watch us on YouTube. You can see it on iTunes, Spotify. You want me to go down the list of social media? Probably not. You guys want to get back to being with all those fun people you're with right now. You guys, thank you so much for coming on. It's been, an, it's been a pleasure to get to know you. I wish you guys so, uh, so much, so much goodwill and so much, have the best holidays. Merry Christmas. And, um, you know, if anybody's out there, look at this. They did it. They did it. They healed their family. Mommy got sober and then her son did. It's just it's a start. It's a start. It's a start. It's, <laughs> we're a work in progress. We're working work in progress. Are, right? And thank you. Well, this has been thank really you. wonderful. Yeah. And I can't say how much I love meeting you. It's just, oh, you're so, you. dynamic, so dynamic, the best energy. Oh, thank you. Thank, thank you. Right. Thank you. Well, Merry Christmas. And everybody who's out there, remember to like it, follow us, and do all those fun things. And until next time, keep getting busy, living soba. Bye-bye, everybody.